Colorado's primary elections are almost here, and we have introduced you to all the major party candidates for governor, except one, Democrat Jared Polis. And he's our guest on this episode of Who's Gonna Govern? If elected, he'd be the nation's first openly gay governor. Perhaps why he held a campaign event recently called Breaking Barriers. You know, as a basic value, uh, I and probably most of you here believe that diversity is a strength. And if you believe that diversity is a strength, then you want more of it at all levels of representation. It has so many benefits. I mean, it means that people growing up from all backgrounds have that role model. Polis grew up in Boulder, where his parents built a greeting card empire, which he later brought online. Along the way, he met Pat Schroeder, who became the first woman to serve Colorado in Congress. Polis brought her to this campaign event, citing her as a pioneer and a family friend. Pat knows my parents. Some of you do. My parents raised us in that way as kids in the 80s. You know, we thought it was a very normal thing to go to marches and demonstrations on weekends, whether it was, you know, nuclear disarmament or civil rights. Um, We were always out there uh, doing that. And I knew I wanted to, to give back. Polis became an entrepreneur, starting companies, including the online florist ProFlowers. Then he turned to politics, serving six years on the State Board of Education. He was elected to Congress in 2008, representing a district that stretches from his hometown across a swath of northern Colorado. When the campaign event was over, Schroeder and Polis chatted in the parking lot, where Polis said he's ready to leave Washington. There's an urgency where on an issue like climate change, we can't afford to wait till there's a new president and a new Congress. We need governors and cities and counties to lead the way. On, on early childhood education, you're only young once. If you don't have preschool and kindergarten in place, that child doesn't get it. And it leads to another generation of the divide. So that's the urgency of acting now. From CPR News, I'm Ryan Warner, and this is Who's Gonna Govern? A guide to the gubernatorial race for your ears. Jared Polis and I sat down May 30th to dig into his policies. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Ryan. What's the single biggest problem facing Colorado? How will you solve it? You know, the, the frustration that I hear from, from so many people, not just in the Denver metro area, frankly, across our state is, yes, uh, most people have a job, unemployment's low, but, but you know, people say, look, I've gotten a 2%, a 3% raise a year, but my cost of living's gone up 10% or 15%, my rent or my mortgage, or my kids can't afford to go to college or buy a home. So it's this overall frustration that this economic growth just hasn't worked for everybody. And that's why we focus on how we can raise incomes really across the the whole continuum in Colorado and also make meaningful contributions on reducing costs with more affordable housing closer to where people work. Okay, it makes sense for a candidate to say, I'll raise your incomes, right? That's a nice promise to make to voters who are deciding whether to cast a ballot for you. How does a governor do that? Isn't that a company decision from a CEO? So a couple ideas. First of all, I support letting local communities set their own minimum wage above the state minimum wage uh, that you know allows communities to reflect the local labor market in higher cost of living areas like Denver or like the mountain communities or like Fort Collins or Boulder. In addition, uh, I talk a lot about employee ownership models, meaning 
uh, ESOPs, co-ops, stock options. Uh, the companies that I started, like Pro Flowers, every employee got stock options, whether they were answering phones, taking flower orders, or whether they were programmers. I kicked off my campaign at Save a Lot Grocery Store in Colorado Springs, and there's some in the Denver metro area as well. It's a 100% employee-owned grocery store. So we want to remove barriers to implementing, implementing real meaningful models of making sure that the people who work and create value actually share in that value. Are you saying that right now, if a company wanted to do that for its employees, that's not easy to do in Colorado? It's not that easy. I talked to an entrepreneur in Loveland the other day, uh, about 25-person uh, company, who wants to implement you know, an employee ownership model. But when they talk to the lawyers and accountants, they say it would cost hundred dollars to $200,000 to do that. That's like their whole profits for a year. So it's not realistic. So we want to remove those barriers and provide technical assistance to allow more. And my, my goal is for Colorado to be the leader in meaningful worker participation in profits and ownership. Back to the idea of the minimum wage, Colorado already has increased it. What would you say to business owners who are shaking in their boots at the idea that it might go up even further? Well, I think we have very different communities across our state, and it should absolutely be the right on a number of issues uh, for communities to reflect the local conditions of their labor market. And frankly, there are vast differences between the labor market in Denver and Trinidad or uh, Fort Collins or Sterling. So I should think it's rural perfectly areas, appropriate. Should rural areas lower their minimum wages? Well, no, there's got to be a floor, right? And we also have a national floor and we have a state floor that's part of our state constitution. I'm certainly not talking about tinkering with that, but I think many communities are very interested in saying, you know what? We want to go above and beyond the state floor in setting a minimum wage that works for local businesses and for workers because these are communities where often on minimum wage you can't even afford to live. And by the way, you know, that's not just Denver or Fort Collins or Boulder. It's many of the suburban communities. I mean, this is a very important and vibrant community discussion, and I don't think our local residents should be deprived of the opportunity to do more for workers. And they are thus deprived today? They are. They're prohibited under state law from from setting a higher minimum wage. I'd like to talk to you about another big issue in this campaign, uh, certainly for you, but for many of the other candidates on the Democratic side, and that is education. You would like free full-day preschool and full-day kindergarten in Colorado. How do you pay for it? I mean, first of all, how could we not pay for it? Uh, you know, it, it actually saves money over time. A number of studies have shown it reduces special education rates if kids get preschool and kindergarten. It uh, reduces the grade repetition rate. I'm the father of a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So we can afford preschool and kindergarten. Why should my kids start out at an advantage over families that can't. It's completely unfair. It perpetuates the social, economic, and racial divide. Uh, three ways to pay for it. First of all, of course, we want to find uh, room in the general fund to to pay for it. Second of all, public-private partnerships through social impact bonding. This is how Westminster Adams 50 School District has gotten to universal kindergarten for every kid for free, and they have half their kids in full-day preschool. And third, if there's any left to fund, we're willing to roll up our sleeves and go to the ballot to do it. And I think if we show we've done the most with what we have, uh, voters will be willing to make that basic guarantee to all parents that, yes, your kids can go to preschool and kindergarten. One more thing, a lot of – unless you have a kid who is young, you might not realize all you get in this state now is half-a-day kindergarten. That's it. Parents have to pay for full day unless you're very low income. Uh, and parents have to pay for preschool. Again, absent a few slots for very low-income families. So, so middle class gets uh, the short end of the stick. You might go to the ballot, but you hope that there's money in the general fund for this. So often the two priorities that are pitted against each other in the general fund – transportation and education. So why don't we talk about transportation? It's always part of the conversation when you talk about uh, the the money that the state has. Uh, what is your plan to ease the congestion that is driving a lot of people, certainly on the front range, crazy? 
and that uh, is leading to roads that are not of, of high quality, according to those in rural areas. You know what? When people are stuck in traffic, whether it's during their commute or during their leisure time, uh, it doesn't matter whether they're Republican or independent or Democrat. They are frustrated. They want a governor that's going to do something about it. We have a bold transportation plan at polisforcolorado.com. I encourage you to check it out. And one of the highlights include Front Range Rail, Pueblo de Fort Collins, which uh, can compete uh, on, on being time effective and cost effective for people to get to work and commute from the suburban communities. And we've got to get provide more alternatives through freedom of transportation to, you know, more than just a single occupancy vehicle. You know, it's not that lane widening doesn't have a role, but you will never widen your way out of this traffic and growth dilemma that we are in. You've got to look at rail. You've got to look at bike commuting. You've got to look at transit plan communities. And yes, you've got to look at affordable housing so people can live closer to where they work rather than forcing taxpayers to pay for it on the back end through roads to the only places where people can afford to live. Likely headed for the ballot this year is a potential sales tax increase that the business supporter, the business community is trying to get support for. And uh, you've said that if that doesn't pass, you would lead an effort to go to the ballot and ask people for more money for for roads, etc. I think that's a critical role of the next governor. Again, there's a compromise with with this current governor and the current legislature, and we'll see what happens in November. But if it remains to be done, it, uh, I think the people of the state absolutely want a governor that will step up and lead on addressing the uh, the growth and the traffic and the congestion that we all experience. And uh, we have an exciting plan to do it. Okay. I'm not getting out the adding machine, at least literally. But if we look at the cost, for instance, of full-day preschool, full-day kindergarten, potentially the cost of a sales tax increase to pay for transportation. Uh, You add that all up, and I I wonder what you would tell a fiscally conservative voter who might be taking part in the Democratic primary in less than a month, who thinks, well, this is the definition of a tax-and-spend bolder liberal here. The the, the price tag is adding I certainly hope that fiscally conservative uh, voters participate in our Democratic Party. We are the party of fiscal responsibility. I think we've demonstrated that. At the national level, I've always sponsored a balanced budget amendment. Uh, But in addition, this ridiculous uh, Republican tax giveaway coupled with record increases in spending in defense uh, are creating trillion-dollar deficits at the national level. But speaking to Uh, you and what you Yeah, I bring that same fiscal responsibility to the state level. And I think if you're ever going to go to taxpayers uh, for more money, the challenge that you have to show is that you're doing the most you can with what you have. And you also have to make sure that if you're asking for more money around something like education, that it's not going to some slush fund carved up by Denver politicians, that people and voters know exactly where it's going to go and that it will reach the classroom, meaning smaller class size, meaning better teacher pay. It won't be eaten up by administrators or districts or carved up in Denver. So you really have to show people that they're going to get value for anything else that they're going to pay. It's the same with roads. You have to show, hey, what does this mean in your community? Uh, What does this mean for your quality of life? Because again, when you're stuck in traffic, it doesn't matter what your party is. You want to do something about it. But on one hand, you're talking about people's ability to scrape by, especially when housing is so expensive. And you're saying, uh, you know, I, I may want to raise your taxes if I'm elected governor. How do you balance those? Well, we want to have a vibrant economy. It's certainly part of the legacy of John Hickenlooper that we want to continue as a growing economy. But the challenge is our economy, the economic growth just hasn't worked for everybody. For a lot of Coloradans, they're not better off than they were before the Great Recession. In fact, they're struggling to keep up with bills, whether it's college loans, whether it's rent or mortgage, or whether it's car payments. So uh, what we need to do is, of course, continue 
our economic growth, but do a better job making making sure it works for everyone geographically and regionally. I mean, the cost of being stuck in traffic for your average Coloradan is $600 a year. So that's a tax you're already paying in lost productivity. And I think that we can save Coloradans money uh, by saving them time. To energy now, currently state law requires that drill rigs for oil and gas be a minimum of 500 feet from homes, 1,000 feet from public buildings like schools, hospitals. A lot of local governments say those limits are insufficient. They're fighting for the right to make their own rules. Should they have that power to create stricter setbacks, that is to put drilling farther away? So one of the reasons I'm, I'm running for governor is we have to act on climate, on clean air, in the absence of national leadership. And we have a plan to get our state to 100% renewable energy by 2040 or sooner. Now, I know we're not there now. And so absolutely, we need to make sure that neighborhoods and communities have a say in what happens in their own backyard. They and do I, have a say already. Do you want them to have more of a say? I do look forward to formalizing the say that local communities have. Part of the problem now, Ryan, is communities get sued over exercising that say. So it's not exactly a say. There's lawsuits flying around over exactly what they can and can't do. For smaller communities, uh, they often get bullied and can't afford the cost of seeing something through litigation, even should, if it's a right they have. So, should yes. they be able to set stricter setbacks specifically? Yeah, absolutely. I've always supported the rights of local communities to be able to have a say in citing oil and gas activities in and around their communities. Absolutely. Does that lead to um, a difficult patchwork for the for the industry? No, it's the same thing we do with cannabis. It's the same thing I propose doing with minimum wage. Uh, you know, we need to empower problem solvers closest to the ground, closest to our local communities. Um, the city council people are the people that you know are responsive to you. These decisions, decisions shouldn't all be made by Denver politicians. They should be made in your community to reflect your neighborhood values and your community values uh, around siting and zoning. Let's talk about the 100% renewable energy goal by 2040. You cite climate change as a major threat and a motivator in that goal. Here's what one of your Democratic primary opponents, this is the current Lieutenant Governor Donna Lynn, here's what she said at a candidate forum about your goal a few months ago. If I'm your governor, I'm your governor between 2019 and 2027, and I'm going to work really hard on long-range plans that are in place and that we can achieve during my term. I don't think it's responsible to talk about so far in the future that we can't really even understand where we're going to go. So my promise to you with respect to any transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy is it's going to be realistic. When you hear a candidate say, I'm promising something for 2040 when I'm not in office, is, is that a promise that you just can't keep? Uh, not only is it responsible, it's imperative to talk about the big, bold goal of getting to 100% renewable energy. When John F. Kennedy talked about going to the moon within a decade, he said that in 1961. He didn't live nor serve to see that out, but you know what? America did it. And we in Colorado need to reach 100% renewable energy by 2040 or sooner for our air, for our climate, and also to create good green jobs. So I think people are excited about this bold goal. That's why Sierra Club has endorsed me. Uh, that's why I have support, strong support from uh, those who care about the health of our kids and clean air. And we're going to get it done right here in Colorado. And if you, you know, it starts, it starts uh, somewhere. And we're going we're gonna to start the process in place to make that conversion complete by 2040 or sooner. Obstacles that people point to are cost. Also, the idea that there is just not the battery technology that exists today to store that energy for when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. How do you make a promise like that 
without the technology perhaps in place to make that a reality? Well, again, it's a lot uh, easier to foresee the route to that um, than it might have been to foresee the route to putting a person on the moon in 1961. Uh, We're there today. The cost of new wind generation is already 15% less than the new coal. Uh, We have a comprehensive plan to get to 100% renewable energy on my website at polisforcolorado.com. It includes uh, raising the cap on uh, community-scale solar, uh, lowering the financing costs for home solar, uh, working through the Public Utilities Commission with our investor-owned utilities, and working alongside our co-ops and our municipal utilities to help them reach that goal. What do you say to someone who works in oil and gas right now? Well, you know, again, I think that's a cyclical economy. People know that. There's good times and there's bad times. What I'm excited about is in Mesa County today, Grand Junction area, traditionally an oil and gas county, there's actually more jobs today in the outdoor tourism and recreation industry. Um, I'm proud to be supported by the pipe fitters and many of the men and women that uh, that work uh, in, in oil and gas and other areas. And you know what? We want to make sure they're first in line for good, green, renewable energy jobs. There's going to be as many, if not more, jobs in energy in 10 years and in 20 years, and there are today. And we want to make sure that people that work in fossil fuels are able to have that transition to have good-paying jobs in renewable energy. To health care, you've endorsed a plan called Medicare for All. You've sponsored that legislation in Congress. It's gone nowhere. How do you make it happen as governor? It's time for the states to lead. Again, that's uh, why I'm running for governor. Uh, it's not going to happen nationally uh, until I think a number of states have stepped up. Every other industrialized nation has some form of universal health care. Of course we can get it done. When people say we can't, I say, how can you say we can't when everybody else does it? Americans are getting ripped off and we're paying too much for prescription drugs uh, and for health care coverage. One large risk pool, negotiating for prescription drug rates, uh, taking that burden off of small businesses for providing health care. This will be a boom to our economy, as well as finally recognizing that health care is a human right. And we have the policies to get that done in Colorado. But doesn't health care also benefit from economies of scale? In other words, does it make sense for a state to lead on something like that? So our top priority would be to do it through a multi-state consortium. And I think that's possible, indeed even likely, that a number of states will feel this frustration with Washington, that it won't be Colorado alone. It might be Colorado, Washington, Oregon, who knows what other states might join. You're absolutely right. The larger the risk pool, the greater leverage you have in negotiating better prescription drug rates. Can Colorado do it alone? Yes. Is it better to do it together with several states? It is. And the savings will be even more profound for you in paying for your health care. In 2013, there was a proposal in Congress to ban a variety of military-style weapons. At the time, the Denver Post said you opposed the measure. The Post quoted you as saying, I believe it would make it harder for Colorado families to defend themselves and also interfere with the recreational use of guns by law-abiding Coloradans. Earlier this year, you sponsored a bill in Congress to ban assault-style weapons. Just briefly, what changed? So I've always taken on the NRA from my first days in office, and I supported universal background checks, uh, co-authored a bipartisan bill to ban bump stocks. Uh, You know, we haven't even gotten that done at the national level, which is why, again, I'm running for governor. We need to move forward on gun safety right here in Colorado. I think we've all seen uh, the, 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 just the terrible tragedies and no, no parent should have to get that call from their school. And as the father of a six-year-old and a three-year-old, I get that. Uh, and it's not like the, uh, you know, the military grade weapons are part of that. And we have a plan to help get them off of our streets, but it's also gotta be a broader discussion around the red flag laws proposed in the legislature around holds on people with uh, temporary restraining orders for domestic abuse, school safety and mental health counseling. So did you, did you have a change guns. of heart? 
Uh, well, I think like a lot of folks, um, I think that we need to fight this on all fronts. Um, you know, I, I stood up to the NRA for my very first days in Congress. They've raided me in F and, uh, you know, we were focused on things that haven't even been done yet. But yes, specifically reinstating the ban on the sale of assault weapons that we already had in this country from 1994 to 2004 uh, would absolutely help save lives in our country. And I'm proud to support it. And was was there a change there? Was it perhaps the school shootings well, I think what we saw is that, um, you know, that when there's a difference between what type of gun you're using and when people are using these semi-automatic weapons with very high rates of fire, they can cause a lot more damage. So again, it's not the only issue uh, with regard to gun safety. Uh, it might not even be the biggest issue with regard to gun safety, but I do think it's important to make that statement that we should reimpose that ban, of course, at the federal level. And of course, in running for governor, uh, we would look at those policies at the state level. At the state level. So let's talk about the AR-15 specifically. This is an answer that I've had trouble getting out of your Democratic opponents in this race. What would you do with people who have an AR-15 right now? Well, again, what what I support is reimposing the the ban on the sale of weapons that meet a certain firing rate categorization, uh, or that have uh, magazines that meet a certain you know that are that are banned now in Colorado. So, would it be retroactive to those who have those now? Well, the the ban that was in place federally was going forward. I'm not exactly sure how someone would implement something that was that was retroactive. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think the goal is to get weapons of war off the streets. But you know, your focus on this one gun issue uh, should not be to the detriment of so many other gun safety issues that actually can save even more lives. And when we look at the nexus between domestic violence and gun abuse, we need to find a way where somebody's under a temporary restraining order in a domestic case to temporarily lose access to their weapons. The red flag law around mental health and a mental health hold on access to guns. You'd I mean, pursue these that are, as governor. Absolutely. And, and these will save even more lives. So again, these are all important parts of the discussion around gun safety. Uh, and what you'll find in me as governor is a governor who's willing to have all of those discussions in a fact-based way to try to save lives so that no parent has to get the unthinkable call. Before we go, I want to talk just briefly about the campaign and specifically campaign finance. Uh, you have $8 million in contributions and 7.8 of that is your own money. Uh, why, for all intents and purposes, bankroll your own campaign? Well, you know, I when I got into this, I said, you know what? Um, I'm not going to run it to be the candidate of the special interests or outside backers. I want to be only beholden to the people of Colorado. And our campaign finance system is broken. I've long supported public financing of campaigns, matching funds for small donations, banning PACs, transparency on the dark money. And I'll work to get that done as governor. Are you but saying where we are you... today, uh, we need to make sure that we can show that we're able to compete and have the resources to compete with the outside dark money and that I'll uh, work for no one but the people who put me there. Are you saying that you'd like a world someday where you wouldn't have to or wouldn't even be able to? bankroll. Well, to that, to yeah, that exactly. It's kind of okay. a horrible choice that candidates have today. And I would much rather, I've had over 200 grassroots meet and greets across the state. Uh, if you'd like to host one, you can sign up at polisforcolorado.com. I've, you've heard and that I, website a few times. I, you know, but, 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 you know, that to me is a more important way to campaign than having dinner with 10 millionaires in a Denver steakhouse every night. And I think that's what some of the other candidates have been forced to do. Uh, and I'm excited to be out there having these community discussions. Thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Ryan. Jared Polis is a congressman from Boulder, and he's running for governor in the Democratic primary. Listen to all the major party candidates for governor right here on Who's Gonna Govern, a podcast from CPR News. 
Our music is composed by Scott Holmes. Thanks to producer Michelle P. Fulcher and Michael Hughes, our audio maestro. I'm Ryan Warner at CPR News. <laughs>